You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, good morning, River. It's so good to see you guys this morning. And uh, are you enjoying spring? Winter's dead, right? I, uh, I've told several people, and I may make you really wish we did this, but I think we should just cancel indoor service, and we should all just go meet outside. Maybe we go to Tawa Center or someplace, right? We could do that, right? That would be legal. So uh, the good news is, is uh, we will end our service, and you can have the rest of the day and enjoy, and I hope you do indeed do that. Hey, I've noticed uh, I've met several new guests this morning. I want to just kind of give you a shout-out from the front, and so glad that you guys are with us this morning and that... Uh, God brought you our way to worship Jesus, and we're, you know, honestly, we're kind of a what you see is what you get church. I'm not a flashy guy, and don't have a lot of pretenses, or don't have a lot of uh, show, if you will, but as a church, we're really just focused on Jesus. I know that's the right answer, but it's the spiritual answer, but it really, we, we really try to keep things simple and focused there, and we're all about life change, helping people experience the change that comes in their life as they know and they follow Jesus. We've seen God do some amazing things in people's lives, and uh, I just, I love that. I really get excited about what God does uh, when people get introduced to Jesus and know Him and follow Him. So we're wrapping up our our series this morning on uh, the coming King. So it's kind of the end of the Christmas season, if you will. Or maybe it's maybe that was a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we're going to jump into First Thessalonians soon. But uh, this morning we're going to see the time, the story where Jesus was presented at the temple. So he's born, he's a newborn, and the Bible tells us some about his childhood. We don't know a whole lot about Jesus when he was young, but uh, but but Luke, who writes that to us in uh, in his gospel, wants to make sure that we kind of have a taste, a snapshot, if you will, of Jesus' birth and. Uh, And in fact, as we see the story this morning, what he's really trying to tell us, guys, is that Jesus had a relatively normal childhood. Now, I don't know how normal it is when you're the son of God and how normal it is when you don't ever sin or do anything wrong whatsoever. I mean, you know, mom and dad, wouldn't that be awesome to have had a kid that never did anything wrong? But on the flip side, then when you did something wrong, your kid would be like looking at you like... You know, really? And, you know, I'm not sure that it's that comfortable if you, if you were the parent of a kid who was absolutely perfect. So anyway, I'm sure they had some interesting stories and interesting events. But uh, this morning, as we look and we think about that, I want us to focus on what it means, what it's required for us to be good parents. So you may, your kids may be grown up this morning, maybe you've got grandkids and you've got responsibilities there. Honestly, whether you have kids in your home, they're out of your home, you've got kids in your life, some way, shape or form that you're involved with. And as we think about it, we're all supposed to live like Jesus, right? We know we're sinners, but we're supposed to learn and grow from him and there's several things in here this morning about, the child, about Jesus' childhood that we need to think about, not just for ourselves, but really even for our kids' sake as well. So I'm going to pray, and after I do, we're going to read God's Word, and we'll go from there. Yes, sir, Gary. Can you pray for my friend George? I will pray for George, Gary. He's in the hospital. He's not coming home. He's in the hospital, not coming home. Uh, okay. It, okay. Let's pray. Father, as we start this morning, we ask for your blessing upon George. I'm grateful that Gary, he has a friend like Gary who cares for him. And uh, Lord, I don't, I don't know the length of this hospital stay. I don't know what the medical condition is, but Father, you know all those things. I pray for comfort for George. 
But Father, I pray that wherever George is spiritually and relationally with you, that he would take that next step towards you. Lord, would you bless him, I pray. And Father, I pray that you would help Gary to find comfort and peace. And uh, Father, we thank you for him. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon this service this morning and especially upon your word. Father, speak into our hearts, I pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm too scared to tell you how many points I have this morning because then you're like, I thought we were going to get out and go see sunshine. So we're going to kind of play this one by ear, all right? I may end up at point number three. I don't know, but there is more than three. But I want to talk to you about mistakes, parenting mistakes that, that we really need to avoid, okay? So let's read first is the story that, uh, that Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2. The Bible says this in verse 39. Talking about Mary and Joseph, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Backstory, if you weren't here last week, Jesus was born, of course, and, and uh, the Jewish law had eight days later, you were supposed to take him to the temple, you were supposed to circumcise, you were supposed to be named, and there were some sacrifices that were supposed to happen. So all of that had happened, and now they're going back home, all right? That's the picture. Jesus is a newborn, Mary and Joseph are taking care of him. And here's a little summary verse that Luke says in verse 40. He says this, And the child, talking about Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now Luke gives us a little story about what his childhood was like. In verse 41 he says this, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. It was a part of the Jewish law, and they were faithful and devout uh, followers of, of God. And in verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So Jesus grew up every year going, going to, the, to the Passover and going to Jerusalem. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now, don't get too... Joseph and Mary were good parents, all right? Don't read them the riot act. I remember once my wife and I both thought the other one had our, our newborn, and we left them at church. And we, like, get home like, I thought you had them. No, I thought you had them. And thankfully, I don't remember which of our kids was. They weren't too mentally, emotionally scarred, but we found them asleep in the crib or whatever. And we're like, ooh, that's how that happens, you know? That's what's going on here, all right? Mary and Joseph. Joseph is 12 years old. He's hanging with friends and... You know, and they get somehow to camp that night, and they're just like, well, I thought you, no, I thought you, oh, we, Houston, we have a problem. And they run back to town to find, to find Jesus, all right? So in verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now Jesus was not being insolent. He wasn't being a jerk. He wasn't being arrogant. He was just being honest. Like, this is kind of natural. This is where I should be. How come you didn't come here first? He was being honest. And in verse 15, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They just didn't quite get it. 
And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, just as a mom would, just recording memories, thinking, this is not a normal kid. And in verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. First, first parenting mistake, most important, if you sleep the rest of the morning, then at least get this one down. Mistake number one is you and I as parents or grandparents, or if you want to be a positive influence in a kid's life, I don't care if you're volunteering in our River Kids program or some neighbor's kids next door or you're helping out at the library or whatever you're doing, if you want to have that impact in the, the next generation of a child's life, you absolutely have to live out your faith, a, a deep devotion to God in heaven. You, you cannot speak into the next generation and help them to not only know Christ, know God, but to live a life that's got His hand of blessing upon them, just as we read that God's favors on them. You can't do that unless you are working on your own life yourself. Think about it this way. Do you want to hire someone to be your carpenter or to be your contractor to build your house when you look at their house and it's falling down? Or you know that they just built it five years ago and you can see that it has major issues. You, you, you want somebody to build your house who knows how to build their own house. So if we're going to influence the next generation of kids, be it their own kids and our, under our own roof, to help them grow and discover who God is and to live a life that, that honor His and all of the, the blessing that God gives through to people as they have a relationship with Him, we have to get our house in order. There's no shortcuts. Now let's be honest. We all like to try shortcuts in life. We like to, how can I just get away with this? Can I... You know, can I, can I hedge? Can I, you know, can I, can I sneak and can I make it good enough and make do? And, you know, I don't care whether it's grades at school or whatever. We all have found those ways that we kind of try to cheat. But this is an area of your life that I'm sorry, we cannot get away with. We have to, out of the overflow of our devotion to God, it's out of that overflow that we parent and that we lead and we speak that we're prepared. I mean, think about it this way. There's a million and one things that come your way from kids, right? How many times did you wake up one day, those of you, if you're, you've had kids for quite a while or your kids have maybe even moved on, you know, if you could think back and look at overall at your life, how many times did you get up in the morning and by the time you laid your head on the pillow that night thought, well, I didn't expect to be dealing with that one today. I did not see this coming. I had no idea. Sometimes it happens when they're in your house. Sometimes it happens when they go off to school. Sometimes it happens as they're young adults. But if you and I are not walking with Christ, we're not prepared to respond. We're not prepared to lead. We, we're, we're operating out of our own strength, out of our own capacities, out of our own failings, our own weaknesses. And on top of it, because if we're not really walking with Christ, then God is not changing our own life, then we're actually making mistakes and we're, we're, we're causing, we're as much of the problem and causing a mess, if you will, uh, as the things around them. So if you and I are really going to pass on our faith to the next generation and to help kids to know what a life is like, to have a personal relationship with God in heaven, to have a security that no matter what happens in their life, that they're okay, 
Security doesn't come from a good job. It doesn't come from a, a great IQ. It doesn't come from uh, being you know, physically uh, gifted, if you will, to be able to play in the NFL or you know, the, the major leagues or that kind of thing. The blessing in life, the security comes from a personal relationship with God that no matter what goes on in life, no matter what crisis we may face, no matter what challenges we have, that we know that we know that we have a relationship with Him, that He is our God and He loves us, He protects us, He guides us. That is where our security and our, our salvation and our peace and our joy and all of that in our life that we crave. You, you can't think about it this way. You can't give to somebody else that which you do not have, right? I can't put in my inheritance to my family that which does not belong to me. So for you and I, if we want kids to experience all of that and to, to have a life before God that is amazing, then it actually starts with us. When we start our parenting class, our seminar here in a couple of weeks, we're going to actually spend a good amount of time on that. See, good parenting doesn't start with you know, tips and tricks and how do I fix this and how do I help my kid do that and how do I get them to do their homework and how do I help them do their, you know, eat their peas. That's, that's not the majority of parenting. To be perfectly honest with you, the majority of good parenting is this, how do I get myself where I need to be? And how can I, a sinner before God, be dealing with my own sin at the same time I'm trying to help this other little sinner? And how can I keep my sin out of the way and from colliding with their sins? Because parents, if we're honest, we know that times we get angry, we're not acting, responding as we should. And how do I deal with all of that? So when we come together and talk in that seminar, we're going to talk a whole lot about us as moms and dads. And by the way, I'll put a little segue unashamedly for that. As I started preparing for this a few weeks ago, I was deeply convicted of just, wow, it's been a little while since I've thought about what I need to be doing as a parent. I will promise you, I don't care if you have been a parent for 10 years, 15 years, wherever stage your kids are, if you have those direct responsibilities, I want to encourage you, if you do not have something in your schedule to come to that, because I'll make a deal with you, all right? My wife is going to cringe at this, but if you come to that and you don't get challenged, learn something new, or be reminded of something that you were letting slide that you hadn't been paying attention to, I tell you what, I'll buy you dinner, all right? Not just a cup of coffee, I'll buy you dinner. Now, it may be Burger King, okay? <laughs> won't be Delmonico's, it won't be, you know, no filet mignon or, you know, surf and turf on the menu, but, uh, but I make, I'll make a deal with you. If God doesn't, in the middle of that, and you're sincere, and you don't learn something new or that challenges you, you say, you know what, I need to do a little bit better in that, I'll buy you dinner, all right? So first parenting mistake number one is not dealing with yourself. Guys, so much of the world around us, parents are just, we, we blow that because we fixate on our kids. I got to get my kid where they need to be. I got to get it right. And I got to do this and all of that. And what God is like, yeah, no, I care about your kid. But honestly, I care about you right now. And if I can get you where I need you, you need to be, then I can work towards your kid. The number one way that God wants to bless the kids in your life is through you. And the best way to bless them through you is for you to have that heart life devotion toward God. So that's what, as we look at Mary and Joseph, I forgot to tell you why I said all of that. Here's why. Here's where that comes out of Scripture. Mary and Joseph demonstrate for us that heart devotion. Every year they went to worship God at the Passover. 
They went and performed everything according to the law. They lived out their life fully devoted before God. When God was, as it were, you know, looking for parents that he could entrust to his son Jesus to, he gave them parents who lived a life devoted to him. Now put yourself in their shoes. Joseph was a carpenter. Was he making money as he was walking off to Jerusalem every day or every year? The answer to that is no. He was not an investment banker. This was not modern commerce. If he wasn't out in his workshop building something, he was not making money. He was, there was other things that he could have very well been doing. Was he tired? I'm sure. You know, working hard at all that. I mean, they did not have chainsaws. They were cutting trees down, and he was fashioning them, putting that all together. And yet they, they lived a life for God. And if they did that, how much should you I do that. The next generation deserves that. The kids in our church deserve to look around. I, wanna, I really want to challenge you. I, I don't, this is so important. I don't care if you've never had kids and you're like, well, this sermon's not for me. No. I'll tell you as a parent, a parent with kids been brought up in church, I want them to look across the room and see other godly men and women. I want them to know on work days that they can look across the room because kids see stuff. Kids see past. They don't get fooled quite so much, and they know what's going on usually. And we need to be a people that first and foremost has a devotion to God to pass that on to the next generation. Guys, it's not about providing all the best programming and this and that for kids. That actually leads me to my second segue. It starts with you and I, a heartfelt committed, sold out before God. The, the choices that we make in life all come out of God being first in our life through Jesus Christ who died for us on that cross. Second thing I want you to recognize, the second mistake that, that we often make or that we need to avoid is that we need to be careful that we don't uh, give more credibility or more, um, that we don't expect more out of the activities that we get our kids involved in than what they can really deliver. You see, there's a mindset, and especially in, in suburbia of the, of the U.S., that, that, well, my kid's going to be successful. I got to make sure that I get them tutored and they get all of the best grades in school. And I got to make sure I sign them up for this. And they're in the, the glee club and they're playing in band and they're playing in the sports and they're doing this and doing that. And summertime, I get them in the camps. I get all this stuff because if I really keep them active and if I really, you know, give them all those experiences that they'll turn out really successful and they'll be leaders and they'll be powerful and it'll be great. And, and if I don't get them into all of that, then I'm just, I'm failing as a parent and it's just, no good. You know, that passage that I just read you a minute ago, did Jesus experience much of that? He, he didn't. Did he experience any of that? He really, really didn't. Am I, Sean, are you trying to say to me that I'm being a bad parent because my kids are playing football? You know, they're in Pop Warner. Are you saying that I'm a bad parent because it's important for me that my kids take skating lessons? You know, I'm, I might hope that maybe they make a scholarship. No, I'm not saying that at all. I am warning us of this, though, and, I, and I, I see it in the culture around us. And as a pastor, I recognize that usually what's in the culture seeps into our thinking when we're not paying attention, that we begin to think that our kids' future success hangs on all of that, and it doesn't. We begin to think as parents that 
wow, I'm just really not a good parent. If I don't make sure my kid, all of my kids got to make sure they at least get to Disney World once. They at least got to get to the Great Escape, you know, every year. They got to have this. They got to do that. They got to do that. And we live in a culture. And, and truth of the matter is, is what we learn about with Jesus is, it's a small little, little saying here, but the Bible says in verse 40, the child grew and became strong. Are all those good things to help kids grow? Absolutely. Are all those activities good to help kids grow strong? Yes. Moving firewood, by the way, makes kids strong too. I'm down with that activity. My kids will tell you that, you know, once or twice a year, we move some firewood in my house. But what, what Luke is telling us is that, guys, Jesus grew up and he grew and he got strong. That's good. And we ought to have some activities that do that with our kids. But we ought to keep that in the rightful place. You know, we live in a world where parents are losing their minds with kids with sports leagues and all of that, almost like they're living out their own childhood. And they, if you're not careful as a parent, you can put such pressure on your kid to succeed and to want them to excel and to be the best. And can I just be honest with you? Most of our kids are going to be average. Some are going to be below average, and it's okay. It really is. If you've got a kid that's really good at something, praise God. I'm all about doing your best. And if your personal best makes you better than most in the world, praise God and have at it. But if we're not careful, we put our kids into a rat race early on, and they're not ready for it. And consequently, on the back end, they have stresses and worries and anxieties, and we begin to wonder, like, why is my kid coming apart? And we don't realize it because we've got them running all over the place, doing all kinds of stuff. So I, I, this is a little bit of a personal conviction, but, you know, I used to have a success. People say, how are you doing? Oh, good, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. We live in a world where our success and health is defined by busyness. Is that is that really what we should be about as people? I don't think so. And it's easy to transfer that in an unhealthy way to our kids. And then we wonder why the wheels start coming off. They're not, they're not built to handle some of those struggles and those challenges. I'll give you an example. I made a rookie mistake with one of my kids. In fact, my, my oldest, she's not here, so I can talk about her. We were, we were flying in to see my parents uh, in Pensacola, and they just had had a hurricane like literally the day or two before, so it was still some turbulence. And I was showing her the plane, you know, what was going on. And we pull, I pulled the little map out and showed her the pictures. And I think she was three years old, all right? And, uh, and she said, what's that for, Daddy? And I show, oh, so, well, underneath the seat, like if the plane goes into the water, you know, and, you know, we can swim away or whatever. And as we fly into Pensacola, we hit turbulence and we just dropped. And my little girl screamed a shrieking scream, like, and her little brain, you know, what daddy was talking about was just happening, that we're about to get out of the water. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what an idiot I am as a father. I should not have been talking to her about those kinds of things. She couldn't handle the reality of that situation. So wise parents are careful. You don't expect to get more out of all the activities that you tried to put your kids into. Just have a focus to say, you know what, my kid's growing up and they're strong and they're growing and maturing and that's cool. And if they have some fun along the way, great. If they become the soccer champion of the world, praise God. But most of us need to just take a deep breath and relax a little bit. Third thing, 
Not only do we need to be careful with that, we make mistakes there, but the third thing is, is we, another mistake is when we as parents are not the greatest influence in our kid's life. When we allow other things, other people to influence our kids. Look at the next statement in verse 40. The child grew and became strong, talking about Jesus, and he's filled with wisdom. Now here's an anomaly. We're talking about the Son of God who has all power, all authority, who knows everything in the world. But we're also talking the man, Jesus. And I, my little pea-sized brain can understand the deity of God together with the humanity of God in one piece. I can't, I can't, I can't rationally explain that and make sense of it. And so I vacillate back and forth. At times when we look at Scripture, we see the deity of Jesus amazingly walking out across water. We see him knowing things. Hey, Peter, go catch that fish. And the, when the first fish you catch, reach in his mouth, it's sucked up a coin and go pay our tax. The omniscience, the omnipotence, the power and knowledge of God. But other times, and I tend to, be, I tend to make this mistake, I forget that Jesus was 100% grade A human being. He got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. And the young child Jesus at 12 years old, needed to learn a whole lot of stuff and needed to, to grow mentally in his capacity. Sean, how did he have to do that at the same time being the Son of God? I don't know. I'll let you ask God that one when you get to heaven. And then when he tells you, you can tell me and we'll both know, right? So he had to grow in wisdom. And that's what Luke wants us to know, that Jesus was unusual, but he still had a normal childhood just without sin. So where do our kids get wisdom? I'll tell you a secret. They don't tend to get it from each other. Look what Proverbs 22, 15 says. Folly, I'll read it from the screen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Amen? A little bit of foolishness there, and you're probably talking about yourself, right? Anybody, everybody, every adult in this room knows that, yep, I did some foolish stuff. Look at the next verse. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Take that in. If foolishness is all bound up into the heart of all of our kids, and it is, they're little perfectly beautiful little kids when they're born, most of them, and when they, but they're perfectly beautiful little foolish sinners at the same time. And the next proverb says that if you really want to raise a child who's wise, you're going to get your kid around wise people. Because the companion of fools is going to suffer harm because in essence, when you really come and you give your life and you're engaged and take on the values and the thinking and the beliefs of those foolish individuals, you become a fool to yourself and you suffer harm along the way. So where did Jesus get his wisdom? Hint, he didn't get it from other kids. He got it from a couple of places. His heavenly Father, no doubt, the Bible says also the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He feared God. And he got it also from mom and dad. And he got it from hanging out with people like at the temple. Okay? The Bible says, in fact, leave the presence of fool, for there you do not meet the words of knowledge. So here's my point, mom and dad. Your kids need you. They don't need other kids nearly as much as we think they do. Is socialization good? Yes. Do Sean, or you think it's personally overplayed? I do, but that's not in Scripture, so I can't prove it. Yeah, but you love to have kids. 
I do have kids and I'm blessed, I'm grateful for that. And they're grading me right now because I've had 20 some odd years of, of how I've raised my kids. And I will tell you, I am not the perfect parent at all. And I'm, this is from me, no, this is from me as much as you guys. But mom and dad, they need your wisdom way more. They need most of the other things around them. They need exposure to you. Now think about it with me. Do you, you, you do realize, right, that the modern-day teenager is really a very modern-day invention? Teenagers only have existed since about the early 1900s. Sean, kids have been 13 and 14-year-olds for forever. Oh, absolutely. But it wasn't a thing until the last 100 years or so, 150 or whatever we are now, uh, years or so. Um, you, know, you know what really brought it along? You can Google this, do the reading and all of that. It's commonly accepted and recognized. There was a time when kids were working sweatshops. And we finally realized that's a bad thing. Kids are dying. It's inappropriate. It's bad. Let's stop that. In fact, let's stop that and kids have to go to school. In fact, you get in trouble if they're not in school. So with that, they began spending a lot of time together and they created their own subculture away from other adults and mom and dads, which is not a bad thing. But in that subculture, they created, and every generation since that time has created their own little new standard of what is cool. You know, some of the older ones will think back, you know, what was James, James Dean, you know, Rebel Without a Cause, kind of that era that, you know, oh, mom and dad are such a drag and they're just so, you know, behind the times. And ever since that time, every generation has been cool. Mine was, yours was too, and the next ones are going to come along and they feel the same way until they become in their own culture and then the next one behind them thinks that they're just old and, you know, all of that. Well, then the car came along, and when dating began happening, it was no longer, you know, hanging out with your, your potential girlfriend or boyfriend with mom and dad. You got to go somewhere else. And as kids were educated and as the economy increased, there began to be disposable money, and kids began to be able to have all kinds of activities. And then somewhere in all of that, we began pushing and putting more gasoline onto that fire, and they began to be more and more separated from mom and dad. Fast forward to today, and there's a couple more things to it. Now today, with social media, our kids can come home and have next to zero interaction with mom and dad. And even while they're not around their friends, they can be all about just doing everything with their friends all day long in their culture. And we, unwittingly, if we're not careful as mom and dads, we take them to all these activities and events and all day long, and they're more and more with their kids. Sean, you're saying it's bad to have friends in there. Are you downing social media? No. But I am cautioning with this. Somewhere along the way, when we send our kids to school and we do all those things, and we early on and we send with preschool and school and all these activities, we wake up one day and we wonder why our kids don't have the same values we have and don't have the same beliefs. And what's happened is, is we unwittingly are stepping on a major landmine that we're allowing others to have a much greater influence on their life than we are. For every one of you, every one of us, that's going to play out differently. All that I'm challenging this morning is, especially those of you who still have kids, is take a, a real look at where you are with that. Are you the biggest influence in your kids' lives or are you not? and do what you need to do to become that biggest influence. Allow that to be the issue. You know, none of those things are bad in and of themselves at all. Not none of it, all of it is great. But if you put all of it together 100%, it's probably a bad picture. How in the world do we expect to be the biggest influence with our kids if they're never around us and they're always gone and they're influenced with themselves 
and, and they're not really engaged in our world. And mom and dad, that means you and I have to take steps to be involved and know what they're in and actually like some of that stuff. We also have to take steps to have them kind of join us, and we kind of meet in the middle. But, but Jesus was a man of wisdom. And when we look at his life, Mary and Joseph and God were the influences in his world. They were the key influences. So rather than us as parents looking around at all the craziness around, we need to really take a look at our own life and say, am I really positioning things? Am I really investing in my kid? Or am I, you know, dads, this is hard, but you know, am I at work all week long and I come home exhausted and I don't have any emotional energy with my kid? Or I'm so afraid to engage them, I don't know what to say, that I don't say anything, and I just hope that they get it? No, we, that's not good enough. We have, to, we have to be the major influencers in their life. So Jesus explained that. So we should think about, or God explained that. We should think about that ourselves. So I want to challenge you, those of you especially that have kids at home, but even beyond that, these are talking points to go home with you. And if you're married, uh, talk with your spouse. If it's, you know, if it's you and you're a single mom or dad, you know, if you need somebody to process it, do it, think, pray about it, but take these things and take a little inventory. Where am I, you know, with the influence I have with my kids? Well, time's running and I'm gonna run out of, I've got three other things that I would love to say to you. So let me pick the, the high points here. So third big mistake is, is when we are not the greatest influence of our kids' lives. Fourth thing, I'll say this one quickly. Look at the end of verse 40. The favor of God was upon Jesus. Mom and dad, big mistake. When you and I do not trust God for our mistakes and we don't trust God for our kids' future. Even having said all of this, your kid growing and experiencing all that God has for them, their lives, it really depends on God more than it does you. Am I letting us off the hook as people? Of course not. But at the end of the day, you're falling and frail and you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna blow it. You're gonna wish that you could have that day over, that conversation over, that year over, that whatever. And you're gonna be messed up. In fact, I'll tell you a secret, mom and dad, God is actually trying to grow you in your relationship with him by putting you in the responsibility of another sinner in your life. Because as you're having to deal with the attitudes in your kids, God's like, yeah, and I want to help you deal with your own attitudes. And you will be humbled, and it will be a challenge to you. But along the way, you've got to say, you know what? Just like Jesus, God's hand of blessing and favor was on, my, on him. God's hand of blessing, I want to be on my kid. And I trust God to overcome all of my mistakes I'm not going to let the fear of that. I know for some young couples, they become afraid to have kids. It just It's intimidating and daunting. Trust God in the middle of that. But trust God to, to your kids. God is the one who does it work in their life. He's the one. Your job is to model for them, to teach them, to grow them, to, to be their parent with some major authority and investment in their life. But at the end of the day... The one that really makes this thing go is God, not you. So trust God's blessing on them. Make sure that you're living your life in a way that your, God's blessing through you and your home spills out over, over to the kids. Fifth thing, quickly. Notice that Jesus later on 
when his parents found him, they saw him, they found him there sitting in the temple. In verse 46, they sitting among the teachers, listening to them. So he was soaking it in and he was asking them questions, thought-provoking questions. And they were amazed at his understanding. Mistake number five, <coughs> big mistake. When you and I forget or neglect the reality that our kids are a worshiper. Every human being on this planet is made in the image of God. Doesn't matter what race, what age, what class, what ethnicity, what nationality, what ability or disability, we are all made in the image of God. And we are all designed to worship our God in heaven. Consequently, every single person that walks in this planet will worship something. We often think of worship as something as just singing songs and praising, and that is important, but there's more than that. It's, it's us thinking about the truths of God. It's us setting our heart on God Himself. It's us being reaffirmed in the beliefs of, of who God is and valuing Him in, in those things. You see, your kid is going to worship something. They're going to worship God or they're going to worship something else. It's going to happen. And the mistake that we make, and again, this has all kind of come together, but if we're not investing in our kids enough, we're not the biggest influence, and instead we're subtly communicating that life is about all this other stuff, then we're beginning to teach them to worship. Life becomes more than just about God. It becomes about other stuff. Jesus, at the age of 12, had a heart for God. Well, Sean, he was the son of God, like he's different. Well, he was, but he was also a human being. Our kids early on need to be taught to, to love and know and pursue Jesus in their life. So many times kids are not challenged. So many times we just um, we relegate them to just activities and we hope that somehow them being in our life that just by osmosis they're going to get it. And, it. and it doesn't work that way. There's got to be an investment and a direct engagement, modeling, yes. And they do get a lot through just you know, hanging and being around. But at heart, they're, they're worshipers, responsible before God in heaven. And somewhere, I don't know at what age is this all happens, and every kid it's going to be different. But you know, most of my kids understood the gospel enough that at an early age, they, they made a profession of faith. Now, as a parent and as a pastor, I want you to know I'm very careful when it comes to people's salvation, and I don't assume anything. I don't assume because a kid made a prayer and got baptized when they were five that that's just automatically a done deal. My personal life, I hit the age of 13, even after experiencing that at the age of five, and I was like, I don't think I know Jesus. I think I'm lost, and I really believe I was, and I think I trusted Christ when I was 13. Did I know enough that I needed Jesus when I was five and six? Yeah. Did I understood he died on the cross? Yes. Did I make a heartfelt commitment? Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember a whole lot from when I was five, but I know I did when I was 13, right? So along in that journey as parents, we have to realize that we're investing and watching and helping our kids take those steps, but we're helping them grow. And they, they go from that stage there to somewhere in their teenage years, they start making conscious decisions about what's important to them, and about what they're going to value. And if we're not careful, we've set them up in the world around us so much that God gets edged out because of all the noise. You know how, have you noticed how um, 
anxiety and stress and things have it just it seems to me increased even more. I was doing some recent readings. I'm so concerned for people in this area, and I was reading a, a book uh, that was written. 30 years ago, and it said it was like the number one thing then, and I thought, my goodness, if it was the number one thing then, it's really number one thing now. Here's some of what is happening to our kids. When they hit, for most children, I believe, this is not in Bible, I didn't read this in a parenting philosophy book, this is life experience. Sometime between when they hit 10, 11, 12, and into 15, they're placing all kinds of values on what's important to them. And if their heart is not firmly devoted to God, if they're finding their significance, their security, their hope, their identity, and things other than who Jesus is, they're going to start coming unglued inside. I'm calling it despair. They're going to become worried about stuff because their security is not in a God who's transcendent over everything that they can trust no matter what's going on. They're going to come, begin to be stressed. What happens if I don't get this perfect grade or if I don't, you know, win this or if I don't do that? And they start internalizing all of that stress and all that comes in because their values and their hopes are not settled in the Lord Jesus. They're somewhere else. And they begin to despair. And it begins to come out in all kinds of ways as parents. And we don't know what's going on, but subtly what's happening is, is they're worshiping something else that we don't realize. And it's just kind of sneaked in. And then we go on, and later on when they go off, you know, else we're like, what happened? They're worshipers. They're going to worship. They're going to put their hope, their faith, their trust, their security, their identity, their significance, their peace somewhere. And if all of that is put anywhere other than Jesus, when that comes at risk, and when those begin to fall away, and when those begin to be shown to not be worthwhile, it messes them up hard. And it should, because their hope and faith and trust and what they love is not in Jesus. It's over here. Sean, are you saying that's what all anxiety is about? No, I'm not saying that at all. But that is a lot of it and a bunch of it, and every parent needs to make sure that we're being careful. Now, despair, when we get into that world, is a passive form of rebellion. This is probably different than what you're thinking. We usually think of kids as, well, they're obedient, they're a good kid, they're not out robbing banks, they're not out there stealing, they're not out there whatever, right, drugging and all of that. You see, those are two sides. Despair and re outward rebellion are two sides of the same coin. When you're rebellious, you're living life according to your rules. You're not listening to God. You're not obeying God. You're not following God because you're not trusting God and you're not valuing God. You're valuing your own thing, and so you will be the rebel without a cause. Well, that's the same. That's just a despair is a passive form of rebellion. It's, it's living life godless, doing your own thing apart from God. And it's just as bad before a holy God in heaven. Either one is bad, ultimately. So that's the fifth or sixth or whatever mistake that I'm on next, is not expecting and teaching our kids submission. The Bible makes a point about Jesus that he lives submissively to his parents. What Luke is trying to tell us was he got it. 
He wasn't disobedient to God, to his parents then, but he didn't need to just be ducking out in like places where mom and dad didn't need to know or it would be wrong. And Luke wanted us to know that he lived in complete respect and obedience of his parents. Mom and dad, kids have to be taught that level of respect and submission. There has to be an expectation there. The culture around us subtly and not so subtly is, t- is telling you and me that if we expect to have authority over our kids, that we're bad parents, that our kids need to be seen as equals to us, that they need to be just rationalized and reasoned with and all of that. Can I tell you, their value as a human being absolutely 100% is equal with you and me as parents. But God expects you to be an authority over your kids. He expects them to be in submission. In fact, I'll tell you a bigger secret. He wants them to learn how to be followers of Him by learning to be followers of you first. And if you aren't teaching them to be followers of you, they're actually going to really struggle to be followers of God because you are under God's authority, and when they're rejecting your authority, they're rejecting God's authority. And so part of that authority, mom and dad, is for you and I to live in a world where we show respect to our kids and we love our kids, but we teach them the submission that their job and their role. It's not because we're bigger than they are or we're stronger than they are. Hopefully we are a little more experienced in life than they are. We should be the wiser ones, but it's not because we're better than them. It's because we have the responsibility to teach them and to grow them in that life. And so when you and I don't teach that, And when we don't put that expectation out there and we let them just get away with everything or we try to use our voice and yell at them, that's abusive. And then we try to reason with them, manipulate them. If you listen to a lot of parenting books today, it's nothing short of child manipulation. Your your kids have a moral thinking brain and compass and heart. They're not like a little puppy dog that you just try to trick into obedience you know, that you're trying to, they, they have a sinful heart that needs to be wrestled with, that needs to be confronted appropriately, and needs to be brought under submission, and needs to be, need to be disciplined. So mistake number five or six, I think it's six, is not teaching our kids to do what Jesus did. Well, Sean, they're just kids and boys being boys, and they're just going to do that. No, 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 no. Yeah, remember, boys are boys because they're foolish. And God gave foolish kids to wise parents. And the Bible also says that um, even a child is known by their actions, their conduct, whether it's good and right. So God is looking at our kids just as much as he's looking at me and you. And he doesn't excuse any of that. In fact, if you want the blessing of God on your kid's life, you got to help wait in there early. Well, Sean, I've got teenagers. I've never really disciplined my kids well. They're full of disrespect and early. I'm not encouraging you to run home and all of a sudden lay down the law, okay? Seriously. Like, if you've not started early, you don't just all of a sudden become Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and do something different. You'll make a mess. But that's, those are conversations offline and all of that. But you and I have to be responsible to teach those things to our kids. Sean, it should automatically happen. Yeah, I know. But you know, there's this thing called sin. Messed you and me up, and it messed them up too. And God's part of God's big solution in life is to put parents who are responsible and accountable to teach these things. 
So I don't know, as our, our worship team comes up here, I don't know what you've heard today. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope it's challenged you. I hope it's given you some things to reflect on. Maybe you were looking back and saying, oh my goodness, I kind of messed that one completely up. Then your response this morning should be, God, please forgive me. I didn't know what I didn't know. I don't, God, my, my kid's an adult. I don't know what hope I have. God, would you work in their life and overcome that? God, would you forgive me? God, would you bless my kid? I want you to know, guys, God loves your kids. I don't care where they are. Think about it this way. There's no, nothing that you've done wrong that God can't fix and that God doesn't want to fix. There's nothing in, that you have done in your life that the God of heaven is not powerful enough to love and encourage and help. And so the issue is not, you know, did I do all I should do or not? We need to take responsibility. But the issue is, are you turning to God for that kind of answer? Maybe you don't have kids, and maybe for you it's like, I think I need to get together and make these commitments before God. Maybe that's a good response for you this morning. Um, maybe there's something else. I don't know. But, guys, none of us in this room are perfect parents. That's why we have parenting seminars. And all of us need to grow, and all of us need to be reminded of these truths. But let's together as people respond to Him, to what He's dealing with in your heart. So won't you stand? I'm going to pray, and our team's going to lead us in a response song. And this is our time to, to respond before God. Lord, all of us can in this room can see where we have experienced failures and expectations. And Lord, my mistakes as a parent are ever before me. But Father, I'm grateful that your grace is great enough to not only forgive all of my sin, but overcome it. Lord, I thank you that you put your hands of blessing on the kids in our lives. Lord, they don't belong to us. We are stewards of them. And our job is to point them to you, to equip them, to train them, and to release them in this world to serve and to know you. Lord, help us to do that. Forgive us when we sometimes take ownership or sometimes we put our identity and success into their success and, and we get all of that messed up. Lord, would you help us to simply trust you, to love you in our heart, and to serve you above all else. And Lord, would you help us as a church to model that with the kids in our lives, I pray. Lord, whatever needs encouragement that we need to hear from you this morning, each individually, whatever conviction, whatever hope, oh God, I pray that you would meet each and every single person where they are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.